back to another episode of The Game Agenda, a podcast where four gay guys bring board games out of the closet and onto the table. I'm Matt. I'm Kevin. I'm Larry. I'm Nick. And today we're going to be doing a review of Thunderstone Quest. (laughs) And then later on, uh, Larry is going to lead us on a discussion about math trades and how to get into those. Uh, But before we get to that, let's talk about the games that we are playing this week. But before we get to that... Uh, So much to get to. The first item on our agenda is we actually have a contest running right now. We are giving away um, a free copy of Race for the Galaxy, the Steam app, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a Steam code. Steam code. For Race for the Galaxy. Hard to have an um, actual copy of a digital game. It's a digital game, but it's... Or is it a it's, copy it's a of board it game. in a way? Um, so we feel like it applies, but um, the folks who designed the app were kind enough to give us um, several free codes, and we're actually going to give those away on a BGG post. So if you search for us on BGG, uh, you can find the contest and the details about how to enter there. We just need you to tell us which game you want us to review on the podcast. And don't forget to also check us out on social media at The Game Agenda. That's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. There are additional ways to uh, win copies there. So check us out and support our contest and let us know what you want us to review. Alrighty. Uh, So now let's get to what we usually do, which is talk about what games we've been playing. So Larry, what have you been playing this week? Well, I finally got an opportunity to play Castles of Burgundy. You guys have been giving me such a hard time because I have not played this classic (laughs) game. And not you, Nick, because I bet you probably don't. He doesn't even know what it is. Don't even know what it is yet. But it was was even your copy. Was that magic of terraforming Mars? What were you talking about? Yes, Kevin, it was my copy. You had just never opened it. it had been opened. Oh, you're right. Other people had opened well, it to people play. Other people played it. Kevin, are you chastising Larry for not opening a game that he owns? No, no. All my games are always open. Let's I'm be just clear. saying, for Larry, Kevin, it's odd. Kevin has a closet full of unopened games. See, unlike Kevin, my games do get opened. I look at them. I touch the pieces. I smell them. I put them back in the closet and very infrequently don't play them again. Or at all. So, But... <laughs> Castles of Burgundy, I finally got to play, uh, broke it out. And just for folks who, who haven't heard of Castles of Burgundy, it's an um, old classic game. You, everybody has a, kind of a board, and uh, you kind of roll dice. And based on what you roll on the dice, you put pieces out on the board, and you're trying to build your kind of uh, tableau. <laughs> It's so generic. It's There's very like, generic. <laughs> but having said like that, kingdom. <laughs> it's it's actually a lot of fun. I oh. really really enjoyed it. You know, it's a simple. It's it's a um, it's a puzzle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's all about trying to puzzle out what is the best way to kind of build your tableau, build your kingdom based on kind of these random dice rolls. Uh, what what is the? Th- I mean. Castles of Burgundy sounds very like medieval or something. Like, what's the theme? Because it's, it's like a medieval kingdom building game. Yeah, it's a generic medieval kingdom. At its heart, it's a drafting game. True, because okay. based on the numbers you roll, <laughs> you're trying to you're rope in Nick now, drafting tiles um, and such. Yeah, there's basically a bunch of different tiles. Tiles are cards. They're tiles. tiles. They're, they're mini cards. They're really teeny tiny <laughs> oh, cards. Okay, now I'm hexagon shaped cards. Yeah. Kind of out of out of uh, that's that's the shape of cards back in the olden days. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're basically building your kingdom over time. It, this game, this old game, it's it's, it's not from like 2011. 
right? Yeah, it's not that old. Like when we're talking about old. Is it really from 2011? I, I think it is. I thought it feels older. But than that's that. that's why I bring it up. It looks it like it's from like 1943. It, yeah, I, but I, if you had told me it was like a 1980s or 1990s game, I'd be like, sure. It is not a pretty game. Well, yeah. The color scheme is um, brown, um, green, um, another like barfery looking green, um, gray. There's also blue in there. <laughs> it sounds like terraforming Mars. <laughs> yes, you would love it from a visual point of view. <laughs> I, don't, I don't love terraforming Mars from a visual point of view. <laughs> so, so our uh, page Phoenix just brought in a piece of paper here and informed me that Castles of Burgundy was indeed released in 2011. You were right, Kevin. Good job, Kevin. There good we memories. go. Okay, I looked it up. Oh, well, cheers. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But I wanted to see more knowledgeable. You couldn't have waited well, for the page, Phoenix? I just, I just feel like it feels like an old game, but that doesn't... I mean, 2011 honestly, doesn't sound 2011, old to me. Well, yeah, that's true. That's not that old. It's no. not even 10 years old. That's not... No, it's not old at all. No. How old were you in 2011, Matt? Were you like He, he wasn't born yet. Let's move on. <laughs> Kevin, what have you been playing? So I've just been getting boxes from some Kickstarter stuff. So I'm just staring at, again, sealed games. There's a bunch of... I have all of the Railways of the World collection. All nicely sealed, perfectly looking. They look great in the closet that way, I'm just telling you. Have you put them kind of in, a, in an order based on where they're located in the world? Well, I would love to do that, except the box sizes also want to be a pyramid to a degree, with, I think, um, Nippon being the smallest. So that has to go in the top. So it doesn't quite work out the way that, that I would like it to. All right. Yeah. So no playing yet. <laughs> How about you, Nick? What have you been playing? So Magic, Terraforming Mars, and I did play another new game. Be proud of me, you guys. Called Anomia. I played with you guys, though, to be full hey, disclosure. Playing a game is playing a game. As but, long as you know, you're know you branching out beyond Terraforming Mars and Magic, everybody's happy. So uh, it, it features cards, uh, and there are... Um, it's basically like Magic. It's basically Magic. <laughs> but so Anomia means like that, that feeling when you can't quite think of a word. Um, if I remember right, I looked mm-hmm. it up, right? Yeah. Um, it's like the it's, perfect, it's the perfect exactly. name for this game. <clears throat> yep. So what it is is that you you will have a card with a symbol on it and then a category. And your category doesn't really matter for you. If somebody else flips up a card with the matching symbol, you have to shout a thing that's on their card with, from that category. Oh, this is that game they... that you talked about before with the, with the whole jazz thing and you thought Whitney Houston was a jazz singer. Okay, I remember now. <laughs> Are we yep. bringing that up again? Oh, I'm sorry. Did I just bring <laughs> that up? Mm-hmm. Yep. And it led, it led to some very good moments. Matt tried to say that an extinct species was a dinosaur. That's not really true. Dinosaurs went extinct, but there are lots of different species. No, the one uh, that like like <laughs> kept you like from talking for a good ten minutes was oceans, blue sea, yeah. Pacific, or something like yeah, that. It, I don't. I don't know if you ever. There's got a very to one. effective strategy in this game where, when you don't know the answer, you just, just talk. start talking and saying random words, and then the other player they don't say anything because you're talking, and then you have enough time to figure well, it out. There's... Or they argue with you about why your thing doesn't match, and you know it doesn't match, so yeah. you just well, keep trying to come up with some other. Who answer. is the referee for this? Who decides the group. who's right? Nobody. Peer Everybody. Peer pressure. You can also you can also just challenge it, and then you should hopefully be saying something else in the meantime. Whoever but, grabs the card, so it's, uh, it's, it's pure if you're, chaos. If you're me like. and Larry this just shouts a bunch of random words then i just start giggling for the rest of the round and i can't actually play anymore it it was a very effective strategy against me to just shout whatever came to mind because i would just start laughing and that's why i won Uh, it was why you won i lost like every single larry's very good at this game Mm -hmm. larry's just good at just kind of just shouting things at people as a lawyer (laughs) it's it's just my lawyer instinct kicks in and uh... so how about you matt what have you been playing 
Uh, I got to play a game called Shifty Eyed Spies that was really fun. So, um, Ooh. yeah, it's 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 a, a I guess it has game. something to do with your eyes. It's okay. a winking game. So if you guys have played Wink or anything like that, it's basically you. It's it's really fun. You get you're a spy. We're each different spies. Um, you get dealt two cards. One is the spy you are trying to pass your package to, and then the other card is. <laughs> I I just. I'm sorry. I'm trying to pass my what? Your package. Are they are they sexy? You're spies? trying to slip your package. All spies to another spy, uh, and then you also have a location card, and that's the location that the you're bathroom. trying to receive packages from other people from. Back at the at the football field under the bleachers, <laughs> backseat of my car. There's a cafe and a fountain. Just, are you hooking up in high school? Like, <laughs> just, just that's that's what I flash back to when I think of spies. Okay. When you think of shifty eyed spies. Okay, yeah. When I was a spy, I was also in high school too. So. <laughs> 21 Jump Street, leave me alone. So basically, the way the game works is uh, you are trying to wink at the person whose card you have and and get them to notice that you're winking at them without anybody else seeing. And then once they've seen you wink at them, they are trying to look. There's little punch board standees of the different locations. They are trying to look at the location that they have to sort of tell you by looking at it that that's where they want you to deliver the package. Then on your turn, I would reveal my card and I'd say, I'm delivering the package to Larry at the cafe. Oh, Matthew, I have a hard enough time telling when someone's flirting with me, figuring out whether (laughs) people at the table are winking at me is not going to (laughs) work. So this is a game of flirtation and spy package delivery. Uh, this but sounds fun. As so many games are. I thought it was super fun. I've played several winking games before, uh, like Wink and one other one that I can't even remember. Well, but it's because I didn't have a wink or eye it's inside, different. apparently. <laughs> apparently. But it was really fun because you're, you're, cause you're, the, the other thing which I didn't talk about is that if you catch somebody else winking at somebody or looking at a location you can call them out you publicly shame them for their flirting you bust them um and then you gain you get to take their card because you busted them so it's a lot of fun like everybody watching everybody trying to see like who's looking at who who's winking what locations are they looking at how many Uh, people like like what's a good size to eight people so okay and i think the more is better because i think definitely because like i was just wondering if there's like four or five people it, it seems a little hard it's it's just hilarious. I, I had so much fun, um, and it's just first to five wins. So you get a when you when you and a partner deliver a package, you each score your card, and then you draw a new card. Uh, but it's just a f- lot of fun, like looking around trying to figure people out. So and also very cute. I like the style of the different spies. Nice. Alrighty. So I think that about wraps it up for what we've been playing. So let's go ahead and move on to our main agenda. So we are going to be doing a review of Thunderstone Quest. Uh, So this is a game that's uh, printed by AEG, uh, designed by Mike Elliott. uh, And it's actually a, not a reprint, but a re-envisioning of a game that was published, uh, when was the original Thunderstone published? It was published in 2009, right? Um, So it's a deck building game where you have a deck full of adventurers and you're sending them out on sort of quests to fight monsters and get XP and level up. And then you're going back to the village and you're using money to buy items and spells and upgrade your heroes to higher levels, um, all trying to earn XP so that you can eventually defeat a boss monster and whoever has the most XP is the winner. Uh, So it's a deck building game, sort of came out right after Dominion originally, uh, but it's got a lot of unique elements in it as well. It's got a heavy fantasy theme and almost... Mm -hmm. 
kind of modular story to some extent, scenarios that are kind of story based mm-hmm. to go through as well. Definitely draws on like a lot of ideas of like a Dungeons and Dark Dragons party where yeah. you're trying to assemble mm-hmm. like you know kind of a mix of heroes. Or Actually, yeah, because there's there's every game you have four heroes you can get. There's a cleric, a fighter, uh, a rogue, and a wizard. So it sort of the... needs food badly. <laughs> Gauntlet. Yeah. Thank you. So it's sort of the classic adventuring party, and you're choosing how to level them up. Um, but this box is massive. This game is like giant mm-hmm. because there are so many different scenarios and different dungeons you can fight and different boss monsters and so on. Well, I mean, let's. Uh, sorry to kind of hijack, but let's start there with the box. I. I think the production quality of this game is out of this world for me i think the art is great the the quality of the cards is great the box itself is huge there's a lot of room in the box there's a lot of dead air in the box mm-hmm. but they leave a lot of room for expansions which you know are coming <laughs> there's been so many iterations of this in the past they've got a lot of material to work for so and did you get this on is this a kickstarter or did you get this at retail this is a kick the version that we played was a mm-hmm. kickstarter I, I backed it through kickstarter um, it's AEG, so I'm sure it's going to be in retail. I don't quite know when it will hit, but I imagine it's relatively soon. Do we know how this compares to like the original version, like look wise? Like, have they changed the art a lot? I mean, this... I imagine it looks better. Than yeah, the game. it, 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 came it out does. Of 2009. Look... The art that's not that long ago. Okay. <laughs> the the art in this is substantially better. The the art in the original, um, it it was okay, but it wasn't, I think, as vibrant and sophisticated as the art here is. Yeah, this is like very high quality fantasy art, um, and it's it's actually really funny to see an AEG game that's so huge because I feel like a lot of AEG's games are quite, like they fit in like a nice little package, and this box is just like well, it's, it's very it's very deep. It's a deep box. It's not so much yes. long as as well. It's still that kind of square shape, but it's it's a deep deep experience. Oh God. <laughs> um so yeah let's let's talk about the game um what are some things that people liked how about you larry i really liked uh in addition to kind of the components and whatnot i like the variability of the game there's because mm-hmm. this is building on such kind of a rich background you know um the the kickstarter that i had there are like seven or eight different kind of scenarios mm-hmm. each scenario has um uh, multiple levels to it so there's a, a variety of Heroes that you can kind of add, uh, weapons, monsters, uh, legendary items that make the game interesting for me. I I see this game as having a lot of replayability. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I know I played twice, and the first, the two times like I played, the first time I went with this very heavy wizard strategy and firing as many magic missiles as possible and just dealing huge amounts of damage. And the second time, I basically had one hero and kept feeding other heroes to him to keep (laughs) fighting for me. And those played completely differently, and... I was watching everybody else play like totally different strategies from either of those two um, and felt like something that um, I could do something very unique every game. Well, part of the fun of that is you get a side quest. So at the beginning of the game, you get to draw three side quests and you choose one. uh, And the side quests sort of give you a direction to push in. Uh, So we all start at the same level. But then, you know, my side quest in this game that we just played was I get XP for every hero that I get to level three. So I was just trying to level up my heroes as fast as possible. Whereas Nick's side quest and some of the others give you special legendary cards. In Nick's case, it was a werewolf that was eating his other heroes. Fittingly called the Alpha Prince. <laughs> <laughs> so in that case, he, he didn't want to get high-level heroes at all. So we basically had opposite strategies on that end. So um, And there's all sorts of different legendary equipment and heroes that you can add to your deck if you complete your side quest, which adds a lot of variability to it as well. Yeah. 
How about you, Kevin? What did you think about this? I gotta say, um, I'm always a big fan of like deck builders in general. Um, and what was nice about this was that added experience of the town. Like, you know, there's the dungeon area that you go into. There's also the town to do some buying, but it also has a few other items. So there's piece. There's a little bit of. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it feels a little more expanded than just something that's just card-based, even though it's still mostly cards you're going to buy mm-hmm. in the village. But you have a few other items like bread or the lanterns or the little health potions that are little, like, you know, little pieces, wooden pieces. And it just it feels a little plussed up, a little extra, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I agree with that feeling. I think there's there's more richness to the game experience because... In a, unlike in a typical deck builder where once you put a card in your deck, that's it, and it kind of moves on. Here, the heroes that you add to your deck kind of level up, and you replace them with a stronger version and then a more strong version. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice to be able to see, oh, this is my you know super-powered cleric here kind of healing the party while my baby fighter is like trying to learn how to, mm-hmm. how to make his way in this dungeon crawl. No, there's just something appealing about that to me. Yeah, you were actually saying, Matt, that um, the the game felt very much like you didn't... Um, it wasn't a deck builder, it was like a deck transformer, and I thought that was a really good point. Yeah, I, just, that's, I think that's really what sets this game apart from a lot of other deck builders, is that a lot in, in pretty much every deck builder, the mechanic in the game of how to remove cards from your deck becomes like the most important mechanic. You know, you've got Dominion with like your church cards, or you've got Ascension with any cards that let you banish. And it's like because your starting deck is so crappy that um, the more you can get rid of those bad cards from it, the better your deck is only the good cards. And I really like that in this game, that's just part of the game is not. It's not so much buying new stuff, which you do add new stuff to your deck, like weapons and spells, but it's replacing your low-level heroes with high-level heroes, uh, and that, I think, is is very unique for this game. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. Also I, might be the amount of time you're playing. Yeah, also, because some deck builders go on a little longer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You have a time to go through a bigger deck. Um, this... This felt a little quicker. Yeah, the game I think is only designed to to take sixty to ninety minutes. Mm-hmm. It's it's meant to be a relatively quick experience. Um, setup and kind of takedown can be a little bit long, just given the nature of a deck builder for that short of a time. And there's a little bit of shuffling this into these into this pile mm-hmm. and that pile and so on. Um, but, but I didn't think it was too bad. No, but it's certainly. It, it's a game that gives you the taste of the fantasy kind of experience without it being, you know, three, four hours, which sometimes these kind of, you know, heavy fantasy games can be. Definitely. It almost does feel like, again, like a little bit Dungeons and Dragons-ish where um, you you have the town that you're going back to and you have your figure that kind of goes back there. Um, and then you have, you know, a, a very small dungeon, but a little bit of a dungeon exploring um aspect to the game so it's not it's a little bit more than a uh, a deck builder where there is like a physical component to the board game which is also i thought was really cool well i really i just really like the push and pull between going into town versus going into the dungeon because when you go into town you can spend your xp to level up your characters um and then when you go into the dungeon you can basically get the XP that you need to level up your characters. But the trick is, is the XP is also the victory points at the end. So mm-hmm. there's not only the push and pull between the, the town and the dungeon, but also do I want to spend the XP to level this guy up to then hopefully get more XP yeah. in the future? 
Or do I think this is close enough to the end of the game where it's better for me to bank this XP mm-hmm. and just kind of go for the smaller guys on a quicker kind of return? Yeah, because the heroes, the higher level heroes are worth XP at the end, but they're not worth as much as you spend on them. Mm-hmm. So if you're just buying them like the low level ones, you're not actually getting any return on that. So it's really like how much do I build up my team versus go with my team as they are, uh, which I think is a, a fun mechanic. Yeah, and in general, I do like that. Just whenever a game gives me the option between like banking points and spending those points to do something better, I think that that's a really interesting um, decision point overall in a game, and I like that this game has that. I like pretty much any game that incorporates that. Do we know how much this changed in its iterations over the time? Because this is a a Kickstarter version, so it feels like it would almost be a culmination of, like, the best of it being played before, or is that not probably true? It's... I know they reworked the system a bit and tried to streamline it and resolve some some hiccups, Um, but I... As I understand it, it still has the kind of heart and soul of the original Thunderstone. Um... You know, it's the same folks who I think made the original. Although I'd have to check oh, that. To, okay. I'd have to check that to confirm. So don't mm. quote me on that. Um, it was interesting, actually, on the Kickstarter. They talk about kind of the design process and and how they kind of went to a cabin and and like people would like their whole team would come and kind of like play through iterations of it. And, and so it was just neat to kind of see that mm-hmm. you know the process take place. Um, well, it's yeah, it's really interesting having this be a game that sort of has a legacy or a history because it's interesting how when you're reading the rules, it says at the beginning like just like so you know that like lots of people have different like ways that they play this, and if you don't like a certain rule, like you can play your. Own. It's interesting to have a game spell out so clearly like that you can do your house rules or things like that. Yeah, they're giving permission to you. I mean, everybody always has the ability to do a house rule, but it's nice to see in the game that they're affirmatively giving permission. They're acknowledging that this game has a history and legacy, and it's okay if there's a particular variant or way that you want to play. They support that. They embrace it. Right. They're not, well, they're not trying to take that away from you. I'm assuming that they probably changed some things that probably some percentage of people were like, oh, I, I can't believe you changed X thing from the previous version. So that's probably also to sort of patch that up and let them feel like they can play whatever the old way was if they like that better too absolutely <laughs> so you talk because this was a kickstarter version there were scenarios is that is that something that was specific to a kickstarter like stretch stretch goals so um the original kind of base level had i think three scenarios with it and the stretch goals and kind of some add-ons added additional scenarios so as I understand it, those additional scenarios that were add-ons will be kind of released in the future as expansion sets, and they'll continue to add expansion set scenarios, which mm-hmm. will add new heroes, add new items, add new spells, and add new monsters. The The monsters in this game are based on type as opposed to individual monster names. So mm-hmm. you might have a bunch of... Um, uh, ancient heroes, which are basically old heroes that have gone through the dungeon who have died and have come back from the dead. And so you end up fighting, you know, kind of dead versions of the heroes who you might actually even be kind of using in the game. It's kind of funny. That was fun. I, I really liked those characters. In fact, uh, Nick, you were the one who pointed that out, I think. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, just look, look at all the level three, like the high level characters in the crypt are all basically like zombie versions of old even, adventurers and it does it does call it out a little bit i just i just happened to notice that it said ancient adventurer and then was like flipping through i'm like okay and this is the mage and this is the archer and this is the thief and this is the fighter and cleric and 
whatever. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is like literally just a bunch of adventurers who have died in these dungeons over time uh, come back to now fight you. Apparently, they've joined the dungeon. And I think that's really it. Speaks to how well they they did like the integration. I feel like it's, this is a game where the the flavor and the theme is there when you look for it. Like you don't. Yes. Nece- it doesn't necessarily like beat you over the head with the theme, but well, when you the, look for it, it's there. Even the individual rooms and the dungeons, you you kind of see that theme. The kind of special effects that the individuals individual rooms have, or how they add stuff to the monsters that get placed there, all mm-hmm. play into that. It's just it's a nice touch for me. I, I just overall it creates a very uh, cohesive experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I think the last time we played this, it was a scenario based game. Right, this last time. Correct. So what's the difference between non-scenario and scenario? So they have a series of randomizer cards. Mm-hmm. Um, so every kind of uh, adventurer or every item or every monster, um, there's a card that you can use, and you shuffle them all together, and you, you deal out four heroes. You deal out... It has to be you know one cleric, one fighter, right. one whatever. You know, you deal but out... But some of them are multi-class. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so you can have... Two clerics that are out. One is a fighter cleric and one is a regular cleric. And then you deal out level one monsters, level two monsters, level three monsters, who the big boss monster is, and then items. So if folks have played Dominion, um, that has a similar kind of randomizer mechanic where you can just kind of randomly pick the Mm -hmm. stacks. It's the same effect, but they're broken out into categories of monsters and heroes and items and that sort of thing. Sorry, the reason the reason why I laughed so hard when we were talking about when I mentioned the multi-classing thing is because one of the things you do at the beginning of the game is you pick your your guild that you want to be a part of, and it gives you a different way to sort of like score extra XP during the game. Um, but the the way the guild triggers is it's on certain hero types. So like the Warriors Guild is every time you have a hero with a weapon and you beat a monster, you get an extra XP. Well. Of course, we're picking everyone. Everyone can pick the same guild or different guilds at the beginning. We're picking our guilds, and and Nick's like picked the rogue guild, and Larry picked the warrior guild. So I'm like, oh, what should I pick? I don't think I want to pick the same thing as you guys because I don't want to have I don't want to be fighting for the same types of heroes. I want to go my own way. And then I, and Larry's like, well, you just you know just pick or whatever. And I was like, well, it's going to be one of these other two. He's like, okay, you sure about that? And I'm like, yes. And he's like, okay, so give me those cards. And then as soon as I give in those cards then him and nick are like just so you know like by the way in this game the cleric is also a fighter and the um wizard is also a rogue so the two oh, that, that was just the unique two that to this we, the two that we picked work for two of the four characters and the two that are left for you work for one of the four characters so Mac was mad and sad <laughs> and then subtly switched the guild charters that he Whoops. had. So, not so subtly. He just said he was doing it. <laughs> okay. That makes much more sense now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, but that's a part of the fun too, is sort of building towards your guild. And a thing that I really like was the progression of your characters. Cause at the beginning you're just fighting in the wilderness. Like you're too low level mm-hmm. to really go into the dungeon. And when you fight in the wilderness, you just like, fight a rat or whatever it is yeah well and even as you move through the dungeon if you get to the second level of the dungeon the next turn you progress from the second level of the dungeon mm-hmm. you stay where you're at unless you choose voluntarily to go back yeah. to the town in which case then you have to start back over again at the start of the dungeon so i, I you know i appreciate that fact yeah and yeah. it's nice because it's like the wilderness is sort of like always available you can fight like rats or whatever it is but it only lets you level up your 
level zero issues your starting heroes so it sort of gets them going and then once they've leveled up a bit now they need to go further into the dungeon to get more xp to be able to level up more and i thought that was kind of this fun mechanic of like when do i try to push further into the dungeon to get xp so that was kind of what threw me off or at least in the game that we played because I'd, i only played this once um it felt like i was spending too much time i guess in the wilderness maybe mm-hmm. because i was you know leveling up my guys but somehow, I mean, obviously there were weird circumstances where there was a werewolf in play that like jumped through the the dungeon, killing like the like highest level person. His While name I'm, is the Alpha Prince. Well, I'm <laughs> still sitting there like fighting a rat in the wilderness. So I don't know. I feel like I wasn't playing the same game as everybody else. I think the first time I played, I did what you did, where I just was like, "Oh, let me level up all my level zero guys," and they all got to level one. But level one is not worth anything. And level one is not that strong. I think it, you're really rewarded in this game for sort of pushing up to the higher levels because level two and three is when the mm-hmm. characters really start to gain unique abilities and stuff. I think the way to think of it too is is you have one cleric who's going to level one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. By having two clerics, it doesn't necessarily get you that much of an advantage. Mm-hmm. And then use the level zero guys as kind of the fodder to discard yeah. when other stuff you know needs to get mm-hmm. discarded or whatever. And, and you rely more on the main heroes to kind of lead the party along yeah that was definitely a mistake i made the first time we played where i just i picked a direction and just pushed in you know and in this case there was a card called magic missile which dealt damage equal to like the combined level of your wizards when i was like okay so i want a bunch of wizards and i want a bunch of magic missiles and I eventually put together these hands that would deal like 24 damage at a time, (laughs) but nothing has more than like 12 health. So there wasn't really any incentive. And I just pushed in kind of like way too far in one way when really I should have been focusing on building like a more robust, like set of 12 cards instead of a group of 18 or 20 cards that could sometimes do one really powerful thing like in other deck builders. In this one, it really is more like you're creating like your adventuring party more than you're building a deck. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we talked a lot about the different things that we like, um, but I know one thing that Nick has had some problems with is the sort of the way the game ends. You want to talk about that, Nick? Yeah. Alpha Prince was, he he was sold the short end of the stick this last game that we played. So the way that the game ends is that there are these six keys that are um, shuffled into the monster decks. And so one is in the level one monsters, two are in the level two monsters, and then three are in the level three monsters. So um, you can get most of the keys by fighting the earlier monsters, but you will have to actually fight some of the highest level monsters in order to end the game. Um, Alpha Prince is very strong, but eats your other heroes, and I was happy to keep throwing my adventurers at him for food, uh, and was able to very quickly fight a level th- uh, level three monster. Like mm-hmm. like Kevin said, he was still fighting giant rats, and I was going down and killing like some old undead wizard who just happened to get in the way of my Alpha Prince. Uh, and then I flipped up two keys, so we already had two of the four keys that were necessary. And then the next time someone fought. Um, a level one monster they flipped up the one key from there and suddenly the game's almost at like the end game and then two monsters later or something or maybe even one monster it the was game was triggered. we might have only played like six total rounds around the table or but something like that it was a pretty small amount it still though was an hour hour and 15 minute game so mm-hmm. it, it, it wasn't i think fast in the terms of the length of this game it may have felt fast in terms of 
getting a deck built up to the full mm-hmm. ramping of your potential. Well, but in, in like total number of turns, I think it was it was fairly quick. And it felt, I, I dislike how much variance there is in just when do those keys pop up. Mm-hmm. I, only, I only killed one level three monster and I found two of them in a row. And that it, just feels very strange that like I almost triggered the end game, you know, halfway just in one attack you know i mean i think that's part of the the strategy of the game is is being able to assess where the the tempo is and figuring out do i need to shift at this point away from building up my adventurers to trying to collect as many uh, victory points as possible but in in this instance where two of the highest level key like I had only one monster had died at that point from the level three deck, mm-hmm. right? So there's no way for me to plan before that to have this happen. I mean, there are three keys and two of them popped up, and suddenly it's like, okay, well, I mean, we're not going to have that many more turns total in the game. Right. There wasn't there wasn't even time really to adjust. Well, the interesting thing is, I think this this brings up the option of of doing like your house rule because you know something. I'm also I'm I, I see where Nick's coming from. Games where it's sort of like random when the ending condition can be can it it is you know I think this game was a lot faster than most games would be because but we happen to draw them early. The odds are you're more likely to draw a key in the level three because there's three of yeah, them there, which is so, fair. I mean, but you could do like a pandemic style where you take mm-hmm. the level three cards and like you shuffle a key into the first third of them and then a key into the second third and then a key into the third third mm-hmm. of them. You know that way when you're getting keys, it's like. You don't know exactly when the game's going to end, but you know it's going to be relatively some point through the game. Like we only ever had one, only one level three monster was ever fought in the whole game, right. which was seemed really fast. But having said that, the scores were all relatively close. I mean, yeah. you and I, Matt, were tied. We had to go to the second, the second level tiebreakers. Tie Nick yeah. was only a few points behind us. It's you true. Know, so, in terms of it not lasting long, it wasn't like it was unbalanced. No, and I don't. Th- I mean. We'll we'll get to a separate point that caused a little bit of unbalance. But my point isn't <laughs> that my point isn't that like variance is a bad thing. Like it's okay that the game could last eight or twelve turns. What I dislike is it feels very much like this game could last six or twenty turns, and you can't really know in advance right. what end of the spectrum you're going to fall on. Sometimes you just flip up two keys in the first attack on the level three monster, and suddenly it's like, well, the game is going to be over pretty quick, guys. Right. Well, back to Matt, what you were saying about a house rule. Did I think, Larry, maybe you mentioned that the rule book actually states that? Like you can kind of, they encourage, you know, yeah. going for it and doing house rules. I mean, yeah, that's what we were saying. It's like, it's it's this it's this part of the game is just building your own house rules, which of course I love. I like to make house rules for a lot of games. I think people do it no matter what. Like, here's the thing, you know, we can all admit whether the rule book tells you to or not, you're going to do a house rule. So there's something nice about that permission being given. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another thing I think that someone was mentioning was that this game, it, I think, Kevin, you were mentioning that it feels a little bit dated. Well, I think part of it was I, I really got thrown off because, you know, it was the first time I was playing it, too. So I was learning, like, how does the game end? Like, I think I started playing before I actually knew what the ending yeah. condition Whoops. was. My bad. So I was just, which is fine because I just wanted to get a feel for the game and see what it's like. But my thing is I like to build, you know, and hoard and do all that kind of fun stuff. And so all of a sudden things are starting to happen. And then a weird thing happened where the final round triggered, mm-hmm. but it triggered in the middle of the order of play. Mm-hmm. And because I think it's an older game, it just felt a little clunky on like 
how many turns does everybody get at the end and where do we start and stop it from where I feel like newer games kind of have cleaned that up a little bit where it's like finish out the round and then you're done here mm-hmm. to make it a little more fair where everybody has the same amount of turns here it got a little weird and and because we're I think used to the more modern way where everybody kind of gets an equal number of turns and whatnot the language in the rule book I think maybe is ambiguous it says, you know, you finish the turn, although they describe a turn as just being an individual person, not a turn as a go around the table. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe we were playing it wrong uh, and there's an errata out there. I don't well, know. Well, no, to your point, though, you looked and it said, looked, it said a turn. turn is an individual well, person's and this goes thing. To the fact of it being dated, you know, this came out right after Dominion, and Dominion ends the same way, where yeah. it doesn't matter whose turn it is that triggers the ending, then that's, that's where it is, and not everybody has the same number of turns. And they try, I think, and quote unquote, balance that out by giving everybody one final shot to attack the boss mm-hmm. once the end game has been triggered. And so that's kind of the equalizer. But I, I agree with your point, you know, someone gets an extra kind of dive in the dungeon, they're more likely to have more victory points than someone who didn't. Like say if somebody lost by three points because they got to take one fewer turn with their cool alpha prince. Yeah, that 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 would be it. That that might that might have turned the tide. I'm a little salty. <laughs> He's when, a salty when aren't you salty though, Nick? <laughs> when, when I'm winning. No. <laughs> I don't know, even then. <laughs> Sometimes I win and I'm salty like then. I guess that's a different point. Alrighty. So, uh, I think that sort of wraps this up. Let's get everybody's um, views on this. Kevin, what did you think of this? Would you say you loved it, you liked it, or you pass on it? I gotta say, I mean, I know I only played it once, but I'm gonna pass. And and mainly because if I want to scratch that itch of a deck builder, I'm not gonna choose this. Like, Mm -hmm. for me, this isn't something I'm gonna pull out. I'd rather go to, like, Hero Realms, or if I like the idea of the exploring and village thing, I'd go to Near and Far. Like, I would, I just feel like there's other games I would pull out before I pull out this. You know, no harm, no foul. I don't hate it. Yeah. Eh. All right. How about you, Larry? Eh. I I like it. I um I enjoy the kind of the world. I enjoy the building of the party. I I just enjoy the experience. It's about the right length for me. I don't feel like it's this is this is not a game that overstays its welcome for me. Um. I you know I I enjoy it. I like it. I I I'm glad that I got it. And I would I would recommend that folks give it a try. Mr. Prince, that's Alpha Prince to you. Uh, I like it. Um. I think that it's a game that I would want to play with a couple house rules. I would definitely take advantage of them giving me permission uh, to to create some new rules. Not that I wouldn't do that anyway. To create some infinite broken combos. No, it doesn't have to be broken. <laughs> I just want I want my equal number of turns, and I would like the keys to be like I don't know distributed better or something, or just so that I have a better idea of how long this game is going to take. Because mm-hmm. it was it like it did actually just leave a little bit of like a bad taste in my mouth that like I set up this cool strategy and then oops, the game's over, like, because we only are going to play six total turns, you know? Well, for me, uh, I thought it was a lot of fun, and I liked it. Uh, I think that this does a lot different from a lot of deck-building games, which I liked, Mm -hmm. specifically replacing my cards with the things with different cards to upgrade them. I agree with Nick that there are some points that feel a little bit eh, but also at the same time, because we're encouraged to do house ruling. I feel like it could be fixed in that way. Uh, on the other hand, 
I didn't particularly... I'm not like, oh my god, I can't wait to play this game again. So there's so many games out there. I'm excited to try other ones. I'll play this one again, but I'm not jumping at the chance for it. Alrighty, so that is it for Thunderstone Quest. Uh, Let's move on to the final item on our agenda. Uh, I'm going to toss it on over here to Larry to talk about math trades. Math trades. What is math? Math is hard. It it is hard. And that's why we have to use a computer program to figure out these math trade things. Ladies and gentlemen, we're segmenting out math. Are we getting into... Program. So Wait, what is this? When, it, what is this? That's why a great did we decide question. to do this? Thing? It's, no, it's, it's a great question because Kevin and I legitimately have no idea what they are. Math other trades than are probably so trading. cool and weird. We are ready. They're amazing. Okay, so so let me give you guys some background. Um, when you have games that you have played enough, played a lot, and you are ready to cull from your collection, uh, one great way to go about trading them with other people, as opposed to a direct trade, is through a math trade. And uh, BGG, Board Game Geek, frequently hosts math trades uh, on there. You can go actually onto the forums and look for math trades. There's a computer program that they use to help run them. Um, And they can be no-ship math trades, which means you're trading them in person, or shipping math trades, which means you have to send them by the mail. Now, the reason why they're called a math trade... Thank you, because I was wondering... Is Mm -hmm. because there is math involved to figure out how to distribute the games. So in a normal tr- in a normal trade, Kevin, I would say I'm going to give you a copy of Thunderstone Quest, and you're going to give me a copy of Terraforming Mars. What a math trade! And Kevin would say no, no I'm not. Trade. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what a math trade does, though, is it allows me to say, well, I'm going to give Nick a copy of Thunderstone Quest. Nick is going to give Matt a copy of Terraforming Mars. Matt is going to give Kevin a copy of Nippon. And then Kevin is going to give me a copy of Spirit Island. So I have traded away my copy of uh, Thunderstone Quest for a copy of Spirit Island. Nick has gotten the game that he wanted. You've gotten the game that you wanted. Matt's gotten the game that he wanted. I got the game that I wanted, even though it wasn't a direct trade. So this is like a 1950s game show. No, no. It's more like, it's almost like an it's like an advanced math-based bartering system. Yeah. So each person inputs into the system. Okay, I'm just going to stop for a second and say, my analogy just sounds cooler than yours. Because <laughs> you're like, no, no, it's a math program. And I'm but like, in a no, game, like a game show, show, you can't say what you want. Can well, you? no, but like if it's a dating game show and they're like, well, we're going to match you up with that person but you have sort to go date. Okay. But it, it kind of but is. No, please, but it let's isn't. go back to some computer because, programming. No, like with your dating show thing, it still suggests that the two people like want to like date. It's more like a horrible love triangle where the one boy is in love with the other boy who's in love with the girl who's in love with the other boy. And so none of them are really ever quite happy because they're all chasing something else. What a math trade does is it allows you to kind of just pass everything along and then everybody it's, gets what they want. It's basically like a genie. You just you just put into the machine like, here's what I want to get rid of and here's what I want to get. So, so and then so you that's, find out well, if you so get your wish. So that seems pretty basic. It, it, I like to see, there, there we go. Let's get rid of the computer program you, you and say just, a genie. You just put in what you want to get rid of and what you want to get out of it, right? So what you do is, is, is there's a period of time for each math trade uh, that is open. And so people will go on there and they'll post all the games that they have for trade. And, you know, for the every month, there's a U.S. based shipping math trade. Um, they ship anywhere in the U.S. That's part of the deal. And, and this game, this this game, this math trade will have well over three, four thousand different games up for trade. And they'll be open for like a two week window. And then once you've input everything into this um, list on BoardGameGeek and also into this companion program, which they post cross post together, 
you then go through it and you identify all the games that you want. Now you're like, wait a minute, So it must be based on what people have said they're willing to trade. You can't just put in your favorite things. If I I want Spirit Island, I'm not going to, you know, lose a game that I'm not willing to trade for Spirit Island. So, like, it'll never force me to trade a game that I'm not comfortable trading away, you know? So I might say... I'll trade Thunderstone Quest for Spirit Island, but I'm not going to trade Terraforming Mars. I will, however, trade Terraforming Mars for Glory to Rome. So, and that's what you're filling in in this like system. Wait, yes. there's you put your <laughs> list of games. Uh, let me let me see. Is this it? You put your list of games you're willing to trade. Yes. Then you see this full list of all the games everybody said they want to trade. Yes. And then when you go through there, do you actually put the game you're willing to trade the other game for yes. in the thing next? Oh. So there's a you're, you're when you kind of compile it you'll have like all of the games that you're willing to trade along the top axis mm-hmm. and then all the games that you want on the kind of the left, the vertical axis axis. Oh. And you end up checking boxes for each one. For each one. So you're willing to do it for game that you can get. You're, you're specifying each game that you would yes. give to get so that game. There might be 20 games now that I want. Now it's getting there Now I understand. And in addition to games, people will put up things like um, gift cards or board mm-hmm. game uh, geek coins or you know all kinds of that stuff. That totally makes sense because I was always wondering. I was always like, how do you know with a math trade that, that and, the deal that you're going to get is one that you'd want? So sometimes you know there'll be like five copies of Castles of Burgundy up on the mm-hmm. math trade. So rather than having to go through each one and say like, okay, well, uh, like what happens mm-hmm. if I end up getting three copies of Castles of Burgundy? The program, right. you can actually lump it into one thing. Mm-hmm. So it'll consolidate all 10 copies and only give you one, one. of them if you hit as opposed to getting uh, multiples. So and it's called duplicate so protection. Then the next level question I have is what about the quality of these games? So that's a, a, a caveat, a risk that you have to mm-hmm. kind of deal with. It's you know it's Is there a grading system? Like I know in comic yes. books there's like an official grading Mint, system. Mint. So people people will say Damaged. like, like if it's slightly played. If it's slightly yeah, played. No, they'll say slightly it's played. unpunched. <laughs> it's still uh wrapped. Right. It's in good condition. It's a non smoking, non animal home sort of thing. So in your math equation filled with how ash does... and hair. Ooh. <laughs> God, that's horrifying. That, that kind of sounds like a spirit island spirit so actually. Like DNA DNA at all. A spirit island spirit filled with ash and hair. <laughs> So people will describe the condition of the game and that you'll use that in evaluating whether you want to include it in your trade. So in addition, though, you, uh, you, but like you can't put in like, oh, I'm willing to trade Spirit Island for Terraforming Mars as long as Terraforming Mars is this level quality or a higher. Well, you so, can't do that yet. So you'll look through the list and you'll see all the Terraforming Mars. And if people have described it at that level quality, each one you, you can, can, specify you can specify which one you want. Oh, Oh, it gets hyper specific. Oh, and that then, seems and then on messy. top of that, it's it's really not though. I swear to you, it's very clear, uh, right? You very know clear. exactly what you're going to get. But on it's only that, you're you're depending on what people are saying about the game, yes. though. There's yes. no yes. There's but no judgment on like how no. this is, and you're also depending on them to actually ship it to you. You know, like it's all distributed because. At the end of the trade, you just get a list, and, and then the list is like, okay, send this game to this person, send this game to that person, send yes. this game so to this you, person. So what if somebody in the chain doesn't do their thing? Yes, and and, and that can cause problems. The person on the board game geek who runs the U.S. math trade um, usually will kind of follow up with the folks and kind of hound them. People can get their board game geek privileges revoked. 
they can kind of get kicked out of the community, the board game geek community, which, you know, for gamers is a big deal. Um, at the end of the day, there really isn't a whole lot of recourse if someone's not going to just, mm-hmm. you know, bunk the system. But there's um, people get rated, you know, so if we have a good trade, just like on eBay or any, any other thing, you're going to rate a good seller, you know, sent it promptly, etc. So, again, part of the factor that you have to consider when saying I'm willing to trade a game to someone is are they kind of a reputable you know trader have you have mm-hmm. you dealt with them before the other thing you can do as well though is 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 a lot of the local conventions will do no ship math trades so rather than sending it to the mail mm-hmm. you actually show up at an appointed time and swap all the games is that the weirdo thing I saw you do once? <laughs> yes. We were at, um, what was it, Strategic Con or something? Yes. And you walk into this weird room, and it was just like a, you know, it was in a hotel, so it was just like a weird, smaller ballroom that had a few people around. Uh-huh. And I thought it was just an area for people to demo or play games. And Larry walks over to this area and just like kind of picks up this bag full of games <laughs> and just like is like, is this my bag? And then like gets it and then walks out. Yeah. And I'm just like, it's you like, just stole somebody's bag of games. Literally like a drug, like you're just like picking up your it, it was a it was package. a large scale game of shifty eyed spies. Oh my God, he actually yes. winked at somebody like two there hours could, earlier. For all that's, I know, that that's all could how have we should have described it. A math trade is basically a really big game of shifty eyed spies where you're trying to get the packages to different people now it makes sense <laughs> so the the actual process of inputting stuff into the program and, and all that is detailed very well on board game geek so if you go there search for any of the geek lists for for math trades um, there's YouTube videos and other things that can walk you through the step-by-step basis but I I really recommend it you can you can Look, you, you may put up twenty games for trade and only like three or four of them hit, but because you're not guaranteed, you're not guaranteed any of, any of them, through. and sometimes none of them will do. Nobody wants your lame games, right? Yeah, <laughs> you have, you have, that's what I feel like would happen. I, I put up all these bad games that I want to get rid of, and, and you all only these want them for like really good, right? Yeah. <laughs> they they typically though will run a kind of a a, a a test run to see if you're gonna have a trade, and so they'll post everybody's name who's gonna have one trade. And so when they do these test runs, if the, if your name hasn't isn't been hit, you know, oh crap, I got to go back and like tweak my want list. Oh, that's good because I was just thinking, like to Matt, to your kind of scenario, like somebody needs to sit down and talk to you and be like, <laughs> like honey, scrabble for terraforming it's, Mars. It's anyone? not gonna scrabble work. For terraforming Mars? So, so Larry, I like that they do that because yeah. there is a sense of like. If you're smart enough, you catch on that you're not Yazi showing up in that list. And, and they'll actually they'll, do, they'll, trade? <laughs> they'll run the test usually a couple times. So if you're not on it once and then you kind of tweak it and then you're on, you kind of have a sense of what happened. Even though there's still no guarantee because if someone else tweaks something, it might bump mm-hmm. you off in some way. Right. Um, but sometimes what people do is when they're on it, they're like, okay, well... I, I have a trade, so let me tighten this up more. Let me let me drop uh, off now. They're Some trying of to like get a better deal. Yeah, let's see which ones yes. it isn't. You because know. the way the trade will work is it's going to give you kind of the least wanted among the pool mm-hmm. item on your list to meet everybody's to meet everybody's needs. needs. So if everybody wants terraforming Mars, whoever has kind of the most sought after game to trade mm-hmm. for terraforming mars is going to get it mm-hmm. how do they trade terraforming mars for terraforming mars i don't understand <laughs> well one one has the venus expansion and the other one doesn't so. oh okay well then now I know no, somebody was works. trading their full magic <laughs> collection for terraforming care. mars well, that's not balanced at all <laughs> so that's that's my my question is how good of a deal is it right you've done how many math trades have you done i've done maybe seven or eight um uh, math how, trades. how like do you feel like you get a lot out of it uh, it depends on how discerning I am in, in pushing mm-hmm. with stuff. I mean, 
you know, I've gotten copies of Notre Dame. I've gotten um, expansion sets to to Glory to Rome. I've gotten I've gotten good stuff, you know, and I've traded away popular games that mm-hmm. just either didn't fit my collection right, right or that I didn't particularly enjoy. Um, so, you know, it it depends. Uh, Do you ever get screwed where somebody didn't give you something? I've I've had a panic situation where I was worried someone wasn't mm. going to send something because they were really late. And I followed up with the admin person and they reached out to this, this person who apparently had kind of been late a couple times and kind of been uh, warned. They're just like super slow. It's shipping, right. obviously. Yes. Yes. So it's, it sounds like that maybe the types of games that you can get from a math trade, it's more like you're getting games that maybe have been out for a little while that you still want. But yes. You like, it's not a place to be like, let me go get the brand new hot, you're let not me get Rising get... Sun from a math trade. Like, it's not going to happen. You, you could try. Potentially. It's, it's not going to happen. If you're giving up some other equally hot, amazing game. Correct. But it sounds like it's more for like, oh, there's this game that's been out that, you know, maybe other people are done with it, but I haven't played yet yes. and I want to get that game. It's exactly right. And mm-hmm. you're not going to see like real retailers on here, right, with extra copies of something and that's kind of what <laughs> they're giving funny. away. I mean, it could be kind of illegal somehow, maybe, I, I don't know, I, if they're I doing mean, that. I don't Cause think like, so. Because I'm just thinking of like, oh, say you all of a sudden see Gloomhaven on there a couple times. Is that like somebody with a store who got extra copies and they want to get rid of it and maybe get another game instead? I, I would actually, I mean, I've never done one. I'm just like thinking about this. I bet that like a copy of Gloomhaven is going to be like so kind of valuable or sought after. The, and the games you're getting like from Like do it on are, eBay instead. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like the copies that you could, what you could get is going to be a game that's, you know, kind of older, like at best, like, you know, you trade Gloomhaven for Spirit Island or Terraforming Mars or whatever. I'm like, those are all kind of just equivalent-ish. How does... The other, sorry, Matt, to cut you off. The other mm-hmm. thing you have to keep in mind, though, too, for a shipping math trade is postage. And so mm-hmm. if I'm trading kind of a small box game that I can fit into a priority oh. mail for six bucks, seven bucks, mm-hmm. and I'm getting a game that's like 12, 13 bucks to ship back, mm-hmm. you know, you, you got to keep that in mind. Or vice versa. If I ship a game that costs, you know, 15 bucks to ship and I'm only getting a game mm-hmm. that can be put into a tiny envelope for two bucks, and that's there's a little your bit responsibility. Of you, you, pay you pay for your own shipping. You pay your own shipping. But it's and of so the game that you're sending. Typically, all the games that you send, are they individual to different people? Yes. So the expectation is basically that you're paying separate shipping for every game that yes. you're trading away. Yes. And if you mm. go uh, through PayPal, they have postage through PayPal. They sometimes yeah. give you a discount, that a sort of thing. A discount. Um, but I could see why that in-person thing is so appealing. Right. That's why the, the no-ship one is, is much more. Because they do that at Strategicon, right? They do it at Strategicon. They do it at Gen Con. I believe they do it at Origins. Mm. All the big conventions. Ooh, maybe well, Gen Con's tough, though, because then you got to, unless you live there, you got to bring your games to Gen Con, right? Well, well, or you could just bring, bring an extra suitcase like Larry does. You only have to bring <laughs> the games that actually trade. Right. Because you'll know before oh, maybe which I'll games do that this year. trade. I've wanted to I've wanted to try math trades and well, now I feel like I actually understand them. You should. I'll, I'll help you through it. It's Yay! it's fun. I mean, it, the, just the experience. Oh, the other thing too is right. So there's like three thousand games on the list. Mm-hmm. If you have a want list already populated in BGG, the program will narrow it down to just oh. those games on your want list. So you don't have to kind of scroll through all this Look crap at that. that you don't want. Function on you know. BGG. <laughs> Well, it's the app. It's not really on BGG. It's like a like a. Oh, it's the Math Trade app. It's the Math Trade okay. app. So <laughs> okay. who who creates and runs this Math Trade app? I forget the guy's name. It's like Scramer is his. Oh, and does his he make BGG. any money? So he's got a like a, a place where you can kind of donate some money to him as kind of like a way a of Patreon saying. But there's kind of no. Yeah. But there's no like built-in service fee nope. or anything like that. No. Nope. Well, wow. somebody's doing it for the love of it. Yeah. That's I awesome. Mean, that's awesome. That, shout out, Yo Screamer, or whatever yeah. your name is. This is yeah. what I love about the gaming hobby: is there are a lot of people yeah, who just out. 
so then he also has a companion tool because people also do um, auctions on BGG. So if the games that you have don't ultimately sell, or I mean, uh, mm. don't trade through a math trade, you can then just put them up for auction, auction and you know, sell, send them away for cash. And typically the, the people who are bidding on them right. then will pay the shipping. Mm. You're not going to get as much for it as you might you know, otherwise, but... You know, so and his sorry his his app will filter through all the posted auctions for those that are on your want list as well, your wish list as well. Is he getting the information from BGG or somewhere else about the hotness of these games for comparison? Like, how do you how does somebody in this equation set and say this is sought after? Or is it all based on what people are just requesting and that's what sets supply it? And supply and demand. Supply and demand. It's all based on what okay. people are so requesting. So at that moment in that big math trade, mm-hmm. whatever people are asking for becomes the hottest thing. And it's neat because afterwards you can see, okay, there were only three copies of this game listed and 112 people like had it on oh, their one list. And then you can say, okay, this game, my, game, my copy of, of Camel Up um, didn't trade. But Camel were, Up or Camel Cup? Well, I, I think it's Camel <laughs> Up because there isn't a second C there, even though the C is really big. On There's G-G, always a debate. It's Camel Up. I think that's right. But I think the I think the name is actually intentionally made ambiguous that it could be either. I think that's right as well. But the, <laughs> but that's a whole other discussion. The more important point is, is you can then go and see all the people who wanted to trade something for that game. And if on there you see something, you're like, oh, well, okay, maybe I would trade it for them. You can then reach out to them and try and kind of coordinate a, a separate private trade as well. So, I don't know. It's, wow. It's, neat. It's, it's work. It's work. Don't You are a math elite. Yeah. I'm, I am a frequent trader. <laughs> yes, you are. So, that's, uh, that's the long and the short of, of math trades. But... If folks listening here have any questions, you know, uh, feel free to post it on our Facebook page or in the comments on BGG as to this post, and I'll be happy to answer you and, and point you in the right direction to get you started on your math trade journey. But I warn you, it can be addictive. <laughs> All right. So that rounds out the last item on our agenda, discussion about math trades. Uh, and that is the end of our podcast for today. I feel smarter already. <laughs> Lessons learned. Uh, so um, a reminder to everybody, we have a contest going where you can win a free copy of Race for the Galaxy on Steam. So check out our post on BGG for how to enter the contest. And don't forget to also check us out on our social media where we are running additional ways to win that's uh, at the game agenda on twitter and instagram and facebook uh until next time i'm matt i'm kevin i'm larry i'm nick thanks for watching subscribe <laughs> <laughs>